Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. Um, let's see, we had a little glitch earlier, so I apologize for that. We are going to save this. There we go. Um, so, sorry about that everyone. We had a, a technical glitch this morning with YouTube. Um, we've got it fixed now. Um, we're going to wait just a little bit to... Uh, let everybody kind of get in here and um, allow us to kind of regain everyone who was um, not able to get in there. So just bear with us real quick. All right. So once again, um, apologies for that. Our, uh, our link with uh, YouTube had some kind of glitch on it. So uh, we're going to wait and kind of rake everybody um, back in here. All right. The chat working for all of you guys. Can you guys see the chat over there? We're going to get started here real quick. Just bear with us. Again, if you're just joining us, we had a technical glitch with the link. Um, we fixed it. And thanks for jumping in over here. Um, the chat should be working. Cool. The chat's working. So we're all back up and running. Um, sorry about that. But thanks for hopping over to the new link. And uh, today we're going to be talking about visual filters and how we can use them and how filters can aid in letting us explore the night sky. So uh, thanks for joining us once again today. Um, if you have any questions, just save them for the end um, and we will uh, address all of those towards the end of the webcast. And uh, we might go a little long today. Today's a long presentation, um, but th again, thanks for joining us. So. Let's get started. So big question that we get with uh, people calling in for support or maybe you've had a telescope for a while, but something that comes up quite a bit after eyepieces is what filters should I get for my telescope? So you've got your telescope or you've had a telescope for a while. Uh, you've got a nice set of eyepieces, so you're good to go there. Uh, and now you want to advance what you can see with your telescope further. And filters are generally the next addition to your, your accessory lineup. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about visual filters. So stuff that we can actually look through with our eye and aid in those observations. So when we're talking about filters, the big thing that we need to understand is the visible spectrum. This is obviously the uh, spectrum at which our eyes uh, register light. Uh, now the, the spectrum that you're seeing here is the visible spectrum. This is a solar spectrum. So all the little black lines that you see in there, those are absorption lines. And those are all different kinds of elements that are on the periodic table uh, that are being absorbed. And that's a whole nother topic to get into. But within this, uh, rainbow of light is everything that we can see and 
when we're looking up in the nighttime sky or even the daytime sky if we're talking about the sun uh, use special filters if you're looking at the sun we're going to do another topic on that but everything that we see is within these colors uh, for the most part and all the filters that we're going to be talking about work with this spectrum to some case or another now we'll get into the logistics and how some of these filters work within that uh, rainbow of light right there and what they give us and we're going to start uh, basics and then we'll advance into some of the more advanced filters so first off why filters what does it do for us is it worth investing in because some of these can get fairly expensive so what does it really give us uh, so for the most part filters are just a visual aid um, they allow us to see or see things better uh, depending on what we're doing and uh, filters can do a multitude of different things for us uh, first off they can dim the image now I'm sure some people are like well why would I want to dim an already dim object and not all filters are made for this particular type of observation so some of them are there for dimming the image and reducing glare uh, other ones uh, allow for certain wavelengths of light to pass through them and then they also block unwanted wavelengths so think of these like in a way they're like sunglasses uh, now the filters we're talking about today I would like to add are not for viewing the Sun nothing in here is safe for uh, viewing the Sun so uh, just make sure that um, you're aware that anything we're talking about today has nothing to do with solar observation so do not by any way of the imagination uh, use this for solar observation so moving forward um, let's talk about filter mechanics and there's a couple things that we need to know about a filter to utilize it correctly and we want to make sure that you're getting the right filter to match the equipment that you are going to be using so let's talk about those real quick so visual filters the ones that we're going to use for looking through on our telescope uh, comes in two common sizes first one is inch and a quarter and the second one is two inch now if you go back to our eyepieces uh, video from last week uh, you'll we'll talk about these that eyepieces come in basically two sizes for the most part inch and a quarter and two inch and so do their respective accessories such as diagonals and the filters are no different they are designed to match up with those optical components so inch and a quarter for the smaller inch and a quarter barrels and the larger two inch for two inch barrels and these conveniently thread on to the end of your eyepiece or diagonal now obviously inch and a quarter is only going to work on inch and a quarter eyepieces and two inch is going to work on two inch um, a neat thing that I do personally with my telescopes um, a lot of the newer inch and a quarter to two inch adapters on the market are threaded for two inch filters so for me personally all my eyepieces um, 
all my major eyepieces are two inch and I do have some higher power inch and a quarter ones. So a trick that I like to do is I actually have all two inch filters because all my telescopes have two inch focusers. So invest in two inch filters um, and then get yourself just the inch and a quarter to two inch adapter that has the threads in there. Um, like what we've got right here. This is a little larger adapter, but uh, the two inch threads. So there's my inch and a quarter eyepiece and it's got two inch threads in there. So I have all my inch and a quarter eyepieces, but I have two inch filters and I just thread the two inch filters on the bottom of my two inch and a quarter adapter. So it allows you to, instead having multiple sizes of filters laying around, you can have just a standard set and use adapters to use two inch filters. Uh, so just a little tidbit of advice there. Um, so we obviously thread the filter to the diagonal or the eyepiece or whatever optical component you're going to be using in there. And the light is going to pass through that focus light from the telescope is going to pass through the filter and then whatever light that filter allows, um, whatever wavelengths of light the filter allows to pass through it will then go up into your eye and you get your final image. Now, one other thing that, this is gonna be more on the technical side. You don't need to pay a lot of attention to this until later. Um, and next week we're gonna be talking about imaging filters. So this will start to apply a lot more to that. Um, our filter graphs. And this can tell you a lot about the particular filter and most manufacturers will show these graph so I just want to show you how to read the graph so you can kind of keep an eye on what exactly you're looking at and what to look for so a filter graph is going to look a lot like this um, on the it'll have everything you've seen charted right here now on the X so on the vertical axis right there that is what we call the filter transmission and this is in percentage and what this means is how much light is being pushed through the filter or what percentage of light actually passes through the filter or transmits through the filter. Um, really, really good filters um, have very, very high transmission percentages up in that 90 plus range. Um, some other filters uh, greatly reduce that. So, um, this is something we wanna keep an eye on is the transmission or filter transmission. So you can make sure that you're getting as much light as possible while still filtering what you want. The uh, next part of it on the bottom here, this is just the wavelength range. Um, and this is in nanometers. And if you're not sure what a nanometer is, that's one billionth of a meter. So really, really tiny stuff. So across the bottom there is uh, our uh, wavelengths. So right now, our particular chart that we're using today um, is 400 nanometer all the way over to 800 nanometer. Now, just to give you what the human eye can pick up, we're gonna take that spectrum that we saw earlier and kind of match it up to this. And I've actually cut out uh, what our eye can't see. So just to give you an idea, uh, the human eye can see from about 380, 390 nanometers, which is over in the ultraviolet here. So roughly 400, all the way to just about 700, just a little past 700. 
everything beyond that range is infrared and we can't detect it but there are cameras and there are filters that can be utilized in that part of the spectrum so for today uh, that's not gonna apply to what we're talking about uh, at the moment so um, right now the visual wavelengths um, that we're worried about today are between 400 and 700 nanometers and that's where the filters that we're talking about today are really going to work within um, anything past that 700 range um, is invisible to the naked eye and we'll discuss more of that next week um, with imaging filters because the cameras obviously it can reach further out into those ranges so uh, just to give you an idea of what a filter graph actually looks like it looks something like this so you're going to have your graph your filter transmission your wavelengths across the bottom and then you're going to see a line and a couple peaks and those peaks are showing you where the filter is allowing light to pass and everything that's low or the valleys are everything that it's blocking and sometimes manufacturers will actually invert these graphs it just depends on how they want to do it um, where the the peaks are showing what's being blocked and the valleys are showing what's being passed but for the most part pretty much all the manufacturers i've seen do it this way where it is the valleys are what's being blocked and the peaks are what are passing so just as an example for this filter um this filter is passing way over in the red part of the spectrum and it actually has a pretty good light transmission you can see we're just above 90 percent there and that's that's a pretty good amount of light that's passing through that filter um, so just to show you what we're looking at now there's a second part to this um, i'm just going to breeze over it really quick because we're actually going to bring that back around later because it only uh, covers a certain type of filter for the most it covers all filters but it really is applicable to certain filters um, this is called the band pass or the amount of light or which wavelengths are allowed to pass through so the narrower this peak is the thinner the band pass is and the thinner that band pass gets the less light but the more precise on the wavelength that we want to pass is so um, this is going to be something that comes up later in this topic and a lot next week uh, for imaging filters. So if you're interested in imaging, um, we're doing a whole segment just like this, but about those imaging filters next week. Um, but a lot of this is going to be very familiar if you're joining us today and next week as well. So but we'll get into bandpass here in just a second. Um, and I think... I'm actually covering up some of this stuff. Hold on just a sec. Let me transition. There you go. So you can see the whole slide there just for a sec. So band pass is the width of the peak there. That's uh, what wavelengths of light are allowed to pass through the filter. And the narrower that is, the, the more precise the filter is for that uh, wavelength of light. So uh, this is just an example. Uh, chart and we'll get into some others a little bit later but this is going to be different for all different kinds of filters so um, this is a but that's how you can read a filter graph so next time you're looking for a filter for the most part um, you'll see graphs like this and that's how 
that's what you're looking for light transmission and wavelengths that are allowed to pass or be suppressed so let me pop up back here again everyone misses me um, let's switch over to the first set of filters so the first set of filters are color filters uh, color visual filters and every single person who generally gets started is gonna play with these filters or observe with these filters it just kind of depends on what applications you're interested in so uh, color filters look a lot like this um, and they come in a range of different colors and we'll talk about that here in just a second um, but color filters are basically colored glass and they allow certain colors to pass while suppressing other colors and whatever you see here um, if it's a red filter it lets the red pass and blocks the others or if it's blue it lets blue pass and blocks the others if it's green it lets green pass and blocks the other colors um, and this can be really really helpful for uh, different kinds of observations so and that's what we want to talk about because these are the most basic filters when you get started they're like if you look at the eyepiece kits from all these manufacturers like celestron or mead or skywatcher's got some stuff or whoever a lot of times they'll include a nice set of eyepieces and a filter set and most of the time that filter set are color planetary filters so they are used for observing the planets um and I'll show you here what the advantages of that are and the different colors are going to help with different phenomena um, on those planets. And what I would like to point out is these are really about accentuating detail in a planetary image. If there's detail that you can't already visually see in your telescope, the filter isn't gonna bring it out. The filter is just gonna accentuate that detail more. Um, to make it easier to see but it's not going to make something that's invisible suddenly appear um, on a planet uh, so just remember that that these aren't just gonna you know poof there's you know cloud bands on jupiter these are going to make it easier for you to actually see um, those objects and make them more pronounced so it works something like this and a lot of these images uh big shout out actually to celestron for letting us use some of their pictures of filters as well as lumicon um, they're letting us use some of their product imagery today so uh, thanks to those two companies for being supportive uh, so looking at this right now this gives you an idea of like how the color filters tend to work so a blue filter um, can help bring out some of the ice caps and maybe some clouds and dark detail on Mars. And these, these filters can be used for a lot of the planets, but Mars is just an example. Uh, the green filter can aid out in bringing some of that as well. And then the red filter really helps bring out that dark, dark uh, mare detail on Mars, as well as other, other things. And that's because it's uh, allowing certain wavelengths to pass and blocking other wavelengths of light. Now, like I said before, these come in all different colors of the rainbow, um, but it gets really confusing about, you know, which color. So uh, there's so many shades of these, and these shades are actually listed as a number on the side of the filter cell, and this is known as a Rattan number. 
And this actually comes from the world of photography. Um, Ratten filters were used with film photography, and they still are used uh, to give certain uh, textures and images uh, for photography that has also been applied to astronomy. So when you're looking at little planetary filters, you'll notice that it says, oh, it's a, a yellow number 12 or a red number 29 or green 58. Uh, you sunk my battleship. Um, it's uh, all about that number. That number is the Rattan number, which identifies what color and what shade it actually is. And these actually, the Rattan numbers, they go beyond this, but for the most part, they go between 1 and 82 for colors. And um, there are others that exist. But for astronomy purposes, when you're looking at planetary filters, uh, the shades generally are between 11 and 82. And um, there's some really, really good write-ups like Agena Astro. Um, AginaAstro.com has an amazing write-up of planetary filters and their applications. So you can go check them out to get all the shades um, and what they're good for. There's just too many to list and we're gonna chew through an hour just talking about color filters uh, for planets. We're trying to get most of this covered. So uh, most of the shades are 11 to 82 on the Rattan number. But we're just gonna talk about some of the common ones. Uh, when you look at, um, for example, Celestron has a, uh, a planetary filter set. I think it's got four filters in there. Um, and that's kind of what we're gonna base this off of. But those, the base that there's, with these planetary filter kits, when you buy a starter kit, there's generally four filters, uh, three color filters and like a moon filter. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but we're just gonna look at those three colors that you normally see. And you, if you really like planets, I find a lot of people get these, they start using them and then they fill in the different shades if they feel like they need it. Um, I have some friends that are very, very prominent planetary observers. And they started with this basic set and then they've advanced their set by the type of observations that they wanna do. And just like your eyepieces that we talked about last week, start with your basics. And then if you find that there's something missing or something that you want, you can always add that into your collection. Uh, so we're gonna break this up. On the left-hand side, it's gonna be the color and the Rattan number. And on the right-hand side, we'll do the recommended use. So, uh, and this is just a basic, uh, three or four filter kit that you would find from some of the filter manufacturers. So this is the number 12 yellow. Uh, this You actually will find the either the 11 or the number 12 um, filter in some of these basic planetary filters. And uh, moving forward, um, you can actually see the details. So a yellow filter improves contrast when viewing Venus. Uh, right now, Venus is very prominent in the western sky, and if you add some magnification, you can start to see the real thin crescent out there, but there's a lot of glare that comes off of Venus. So adding a filter, like a planetary filter, particularly the number 12, because it passes that yellow light and blocks the other light, um, can be very, very helpful in catching that crescent detail. Um, a number 12 is also good for viewing uh, clouds on the atmosphere of Mars. Uh, it's not something I've done, but that uh, this wavelength can help with that. Uh, 
please keep in mind it also depends on the telescope that you're using and the seeing condition um so there's a lot with that uh this also improves contrast uh when viewing uh jupiter and the moon but also keep in mind that these are colored filters so whatever you whenever you put these on they are going to make the image that color so if you are viewing the moon and you put a yellow filter on there it's going to be yellow so that's how it works uh the next filter that you're going to see is orange number 21 uh this one's really good for the moon bringing out some of those uh details in the mare or the seas uh, this is also helpful for viewing the cloud bands on Jupiter and the red spot because it allows that orange detail to come through and kind of suppresses the rest of those colors. Um, so you kind of have to figure out what's going to work for you. Um, and then this can also accentuate some of the detail on Saturn and the rings and some of the polar details. Uh, the last filter, this one's really popular, um, is number 80A blue. Um, this particular one's really good for viewing those ice caps on Mars because it actually reduces all the red glare or the red light from Mars can be very overpowering. This will reduce the red light from passing and allow the blue light coming off of the ice caps to shine through so it can help pop that detail out. Um, it can also be helpful for the red spot once again because again it's reducing the red detail. So this would almost be like an invert um, with Jupiter because the red spot, of course, has a lot of red in it. So by reducing that, you're not going to get the red detail, but you're going to see the real dark structures because it's not allowing that light to pass through. So it's kind of almost like an inverted image is what you're going to get with blue. Uh, and also this can improve detail on Saturn as well. It's also very helpful on uh, the moon. Um, if you want to have fun with it, you can put one of these in when it's a blue moon during an outreach event and you can put a blue filter in there and you can make it blue. Um, now there's a lot of other shades that you can use. Um, if you're into double stars, you can use some of those orange filters to help reduce that um, light and you can help split those double stars. Um, and one thing i saw it mentioned here in the comments but it's actually really important when we were talking about the filter graphs and light transmission the color filters do not have good light transmission and we're only talking about like 50 60 percent so it actually mutes the image quite a bit but keep in mind these filters are made to be used on very bright objects so the moon and the planets so reducing light isn't as big of a deal so that's okay but it, it it will reduce light so if you ever see a light transmission graph for a color filter don't freak out it's it's normal and you're only using this on bright objects anyway and the bigger the telescope the more light it's going to shove through that filter anyway so that wraps up the color filters. And again, if you want to know more about some of these filters and the shades that can be used, um, Agena Astro has an amazing write-up on their website about it. Um, and it breaks down a lot of the pluses and minuses of these filter shades. And I'm sure there's plenty of amazing write-ups out there. That's just one that I found. Um, and that's at agenaastro.com. Now the next set of filters is something that many of us are more familiar with, are polarizers and neutral density filters. 
this normally comes with a color set or is, an, is the second filter that you probably look at if you're getting started. Let's say you had an eyepiece kit and you had some color filters. The next thing is, what about a moon filter? Well, I throw moon filters into this type of filtration. So the first one, uh, these filters are really designed to do uh, reduce light and glare. Uh, and there's a couple ways that we can do that. Uh, I really like using some of these filters, particularly with the moon. It can help bring out that contrast and, you know, get the, by reducing some of the light. Uh, Jupiter can be really, really helpful. And bringing out some of those uh, details in the clouds, because Jupiter is so bright, um, reducing that light can be very helpful. And Venus, I use, I have a polarizing filter. I use it on Venus all the time. And it really, really helps bring out those crescent details, especially right now, because right now is a perfect time. Over the next uh, week or two, we're gonna lose Venus uh, very quickly in the evening sky. But as it makes its descent towards the sun, that crescent is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And it really gets really pretty when it gets to that razor thin uh, crescent. So the polarizers or a neutral density can help with that. So we're going to break this up into two pieces. Uh, first one is polarizing filters. Now polarizers are really helpful because they actually use two filters that rotate together. And they, by rotating it, you can adjust the darkness of how much light's being passed through. Just like polarizing sunglasses, how they get darker. Same thing here, except you can manually adjust that filter uh, to your own liking. And I should have brought my polarizer out, but you guys get the idea, you're smart. Um, this is really good for beginners, um, but I think it is a must to have in your eyepiece case, period. Um, because it's such a multi-role filter. Now it is two pieces of glass and these glass, the glass that these manufacturers use are very well polished, but you still have pieces of glass. The more glass you put into a system, each time the light passes through the glass, you're slowly reducing the throughput. And that's true for eyepieces and how many lenses are in a telescope. It's usually not a huge deal, but there is a somewhat small percentage. The more glass, the more reflections can happen and contrast can be reduced. So to get around that, you have neutral density filters. Neutral density filters are individual filters um, which have preset uh, density levels or darkness levels which allow light to pass through. So rather than having a polarizer that's adjustable, these are set at certain densities. And these are very, very helpful. If you're really, really into planetary or lunar, I find a lot of people switch over from the polarizer and they go to get the dedicated filter. It's a more specialized approach. Um, if you're into photography, it's very similar to the thought of a zoom lens versus a prime lens. Primes are generally more sharp, um, and more specific, but it just depends on what you're looking for. So a set of neutral density filters, if you get really into planetary, is probably where you're gonna go, but if you're just doing general stuff, a polarizer is excellent. 
Um, and these are single pieces of glass, which is why most of the advanced planetary observers tend to go that route because you're just reducing the amount of glass that's in your, your train at that point. So uh, on this next set is probably the filters that we get asked about the most. So we did planetary filters. We just did neutral densities and uh, moon filters are pretty much in this section of neutral density. They're basically a type of neutral density is what a moon filter is. So if you see one, it's just that. Some manufacturers have different moon filter densities or percentages. It's a neutral density. That's all that is. So still good to have. Um, just pick the way you want to go. Um, if you're not a polarizer, I think is a must. Um, but if you want to advance that a little bit more, you can get your set of ND or neutral density filters. Now, my favorite set of filters, and the ones we get asked about all the time, are deep sky filters. And this is going to be broken up into two sections, and we're going to be referring back to those uh, filter graphs in this, because things are going to get more specific with these types of filters. So, deep sky filters. These improve the image that you see in your telescope. And just like the planetary filters, they're made to accentuate things. And if it's not there, then a filter can only do so much. Um, going to dark skies is really the best way to do it. But filters are helpful tools in a light polluted sky and especially a dark sky as well. Now, uh, there's two different types of deep sky filters. We're going to break that up. Um, but these are made to usually reduce light pollution and improve contrast of whatever you're viewing. And there's two types, broadband and narrowband. And we're going to break this up into the two sections here because they are fairly different. They're doing the same thing. They're still filtering, letting light pass, and blocking certain wavelengths but they get more specific between the two types. So we'll break these up. Uh, broadband filters are what we're gonna start with here. So uh, broadband filter, these allow a wide range of wavelengths from that spectrum we saw earlier to pass through while blocking selective wavelengths. Um, and these are really helpful if you're in town and in your backyard, uh, a good light pollution filter can definitely help pop some of the details out in a nebula. Um, it's not as good as a dark sky, but they're still helpful. And you'd be amazed at what you can get out of a good filter. Um, they're gonna block a lot of that unwanted light from all of the, the beautiful lights that we have out here. And they're gonna let the wavelengths from those objects that we wanna see pass through to your eye. Now your filter graph for a broadband filter is gonna look something like this. So we, the reason why we call them broadband is you can see it's passing all kinds of wavelengths and they're fairly broad, um, very, very large peaks. Um, the valleys in this graph are cutting off selected wavelengths of light that are generally emitted by street lights and where that light pollution comes from. So uh, the people who make these filters have studied the spectrum and found where the light um, of these objects uh, that we're looking at, so nebulas and stuff like that, they know these are the wavelengths that are coming from those objects. And then we've also studied what wavelengths are being emitted by certain light. 
and we're able to make these filters that block the, the wavelengths from a street light and pass the wavelengths that we want to see from distant objects. But the, the problem with some of this stuff is because it is a broadband, there is a lot of light pollution that can still occur within these wavelengths, but it, it doesn't block everything, but it blocks enough to really, really help. So this is what a general broadband light pollution filter graph looks like. And their transmission on these are generally really, really good because they're not colored uh, glass. These are uh, multi-coated with very, very specific coatings on there. Um, when we're talking deep sky filters, because we're looking at faint objects, the, the transmission needs to be very good. So you're getting all the light you can from your telescope. And uh, because of this, they are not using the colored glass like a planetary filter. They are using a very well-polished piece of glass with very, very particular metallic coatings on it. So that's why these are a lot more expensive than the planetary filters are. So um, let's see. So these are generally used for uh, light pollution reduction. Um, you'll see them called like an LPR filter or LPS, light pollution suppression. Uh, so this is uh, generally broadband filters look a lot like that. Um, keep in mind, they do not equal a dark sky. Um, nothing will ever come close to taking your telescope away from city lights. That's where you're going to get the best performance. But these filters can still be helpful um, with that. Now there's one type of broadband. There's actually a multitude of broadband filters that are very good to have in your set. But the one that you hear about the most is the ultra high contrast or UHC filter. And you can get these from pretty much any filter manufacturer makes this. It's pretty much a staple. Um, and if you're looking for a filter to add uh, to your telescope kit, maybe it's your first deep sky filter, the UHC filter should be the first one to be considered because it is probably the most helpful. Um, this is not this is a broadband filter but it's a lot more selective of what light that it lets through it's very particular on wavelengths emitted from nebulas it blocks a lot of the light pollution problem wavelengths and allows the other ones to pass um, and very very good for emission nebulas like orion or um i don't know there's so many other ring nebula you know anything that's an emission nebula this is very, very good to use. So if you're looking for your first filter, for your first deep sky filter, a UHC filter, regardless of who makes it, a UHC filter should be the one that you look at the most. Um, this is a workhorse for me and my kit. Um, so that's pretty much broadband filters, but just to give you an idea of some broadband filters that are on the market, all these are very, very good. Um, they all do um, a little bit different uh, setups. Most of the UHCs are the same. A lot of the light pollutions are the same. Companies just have different names for them. Um, you get some a little bit more specific, um, but check out some of these filters. Um, I've used a lot of these, and pretty much all of them are good. There's, there's not, none of these are bad at all, um, but they all have their slightly different flavor. Um, but they're very, very similar to one another. Um, so if you're looking for filters, broadband filters, these are some recommended ones. Um, just pick who you like and they all, they all make awesome stuff.
Now, uh, the next set of filters, we're getting very, very specific now. These are called narrow band filters. Narrow band filters um, are very, very precise filters. So on the broadband filter, we saw that they passed all those wavelengths. Narrow band filters are designed to uh, pass a very, very specific, very thin amount of light, thus the name narrow band. Uh, these block everything except the wavelength that the filter is tuned for. So that's going to look something like this. Um, this is a narrow band uh, filter graph. So you'll see one peak, and the peak is going to have a different um, diameters depending on the band pass, which we're going to get here in a second. But you're going to have one peak, and everything else is going to be blocked. And this is a narrow band uh, filter allowing only that very, very specific wavelength of light to pass through. And there are different types of narrowband filters depending on the type of light you're trying to isolate. Now, when we're looking at wavelengths of light, um, there is something to think about. Uh, narrowband filters are measured by how much light passes through them this and how wide of a band that it lets it pass. And this band pass is measured in nanometers, which is one billionth of a meter. And within that, you get narrower or wider band passes. And going back to that graph back there, um, I'll show you here in a second, actually I have another graph. The narrower that peak is, the more contrast that filter is gonna provide, but also the dimmer the image is going to be because there's only a very selective amount of light that's in there. So look something like this. So this is the bandpass graph we saw earlier. So you're going to have one peak, everything is blocked, and the narrower this peak is, the narrower the bandpass is, or the more precise uh, that filter is tuned to the wavelength of light, and the more contrast you're going to get. But just remember that. Um, the narrower the band pass, the less light that's going to pass through um, because you're getting very specific. And this isn't something you see a lot with visual filters. This is an imaging filter thing, and it's really going to play a big part in next week's topic uh, for uh, imaging filters. Um, so that's how band pass works. Now let's talk about the, the basic types of narrow band that we use for um, visual First off is the Oxygen 3 filter. Now Oxygen 3 is in the blue part of the spectrum, right in here. So uh, this is, now I'm sure if I have some spectral um, analysis people on here, I don't think I nailed it 100%, but it's right within that area. That's where Oxygen 3 resides in the visible spectrum. Uh, this passes at that 500 nanometer uh, range. So that's where oxygen 3 sits within the spectrum. Um, this is actually double ionized oxygen that's being emitted by planetary and emission nebulas. And these filters, because they are narrow band filters, they are selectively passing a certain amount of light. So it's best to use on larger aperture telescopes, about six inch or bigger, but that doesn't mean you, you can't use them on smaller telescope. It's just keep in mind that it will dim the image quite a bit. Um, the O3 filter is, um, for me, is one of my favorites. Um, there's a lot of objects in the night sky. 
um, especially in the winter and summer months. And O3 is a must in your kit. Um, the Veil Nebula, the um, North American Nebula, the Lagoon Nebula, Ring, um, M27, the Dumbbell Nebula, all of that. Um, the O3 filter, anything that emits O3, which is most nebulas, is the filter of choice. Um, this is a great companion to have with your UHC filter. Uh, now, moving on to the next, uh, the next narrowband filter. This is the H-beta filter. H-beta passes light at 486 nanometers, which is located right here, that big dark line in the blue. It's not far from O3, but it's very, very different. Um, the H-beta filter is um, allows you to see anything that emits hydrogen. And again, that's all the nebulas. And a lot of people actually come to know this as, um, I mean, the horse head filter. So if you want to see the Horsehead Nebula, this is normally the key to the city to make that happen. Um, you want to make sure you're reducing all the street light and allowing that hydrogen to pass through. And the reason, I'm sure a lot of you have read about hydrogen alpha, like solar filters and imaging filters. Um, let me go back here real quick to our spectrum. Hydrogen beta this blue line right here, the human eye is really sensitive in this area, this green and not quite here, but it's getting better and peaks in the green. That's where the human eye is most sensitive. That's why we use green laser pointers instead of red because the human eye picks up green. Um, so H beta is easier to be seen by the human eye. Way over here in the red part, you're gonna see another dark line. This is hydrogen alpha. Um, Hydrogen alpha is way over in the red part of the spectrum and the human eye is not as sensitive. So you need special equipment or cameras or what have you to actually see H alpha visually. Um, if we're talking filters for the sun, like H alpha filters, that's a lot of light. So that's a little different system. Um, but for nighttime, things are very dim and our eye is not sensitive in this part of the spectrum. So we can't see this very well. So if you use hydrogen beta, um, you can still pick up the same details, but it's in an easier part of the spectrum for the eye to detect. So that's H-beta. Um, H-beta, um, a lot of people think it's just for the horse head. Um, it's not. It, it's really cool to use an H-beta on Orion. Um, a lot of people usually use a O3 or UHC. It gets you kind of that extension in the arms of, the, of that nebula. But in H-beta, if you guys see in the image that background kind of scoop behind the trapezium where there's all that molting detail, an H-beta filter brings that out really well. Um, it does really cool stuff with uh, the lagoon and uh, so many objects. But an H-beta filter is highly overlooked because of its limited use. Um, so don't let it fool you. It would not be my first pick, but it's one that I personally have in my set. Um, but it does need a little bit more punch to be used. So, you know, an eight or 10 inch or, or larger telescope, this is something to consider. Uh, you can use it on wide field stuff like the California Nebula. If you've got a wide field refractor and a low power eyepiece, H-beta is very, very good to have in the kit. Um, 
So we're going to just, like I said, we're going to go maybe a little long today. I'll make sure we do a Q&A. Um, there's just a couple specialty filters that I want to wrap in here and then we'll be done. Um, so let's talk about specialty filters really quick because there are some filters that exist that we should still talk about. Um, so we're just going to kind of pop through these real quick. Um, the first one is a minus violet filter. Um, if you have an achromatic refractor, not an APO, an achromat, and you have that blue fringing, that color aberration known as chromatic aberration, um, the minus violet filter can be installed into the light path and reduce that, and it gets rid of that purple fringing for you. Uh, one thing to make sure of with these minus violet filters is because they are reducing the purple fringe, the image is going to get a little bit more yellow because you're kind of offsetting that color balance in your eye. So this can be very helpful for planets so you don't have that distracting halo around there. So if you've got some big acromat refractor and you want to reduce that color down, uh, a minus violet filter is a very good thing to add. Uh, the next one is the Comet filter. Uh, Lumicon, in my mind, is the only one who makes this. Um, I actually have one of these. I don't use it a lot. This is a narrow band filter. It's a fairly broad narrow band, but nonetheless, it's still narrow band at 25 nanometers. Um, this passes oxygen three and what's known as a swan band. And there's a number of these uh, swan bands uh, discovered by a gentleman with the last name of Swan. Um, this particular one is the C2 uh, band in the SWAN uh, collection. And the reason why these wavelengths are used on this filter is because comets in their ionized tails um, actually emit frequencies of light um, in this region. Um, so this is kind of a cool filter. Um, I have one, I don't use it a lot. Um, it actually works really good as a nebula filter. So if you wanna use it kind of like a broader O3 filter, it's kind of a fun one to use um, if you've got it. Um, I just haven't had a lot of time to use it on comets. It doesn't work on the dusty comets. It needs to be a gaseous comet if you're looking at one of these. But it's uh, that's called the comet filter. They used to call them the swan filter, but uh, Lumicon still makes them. I don't think anybody else does. They're kind of a specialty thing, thus the reason they're in the specialty filters. Uh, next up is the Mars filter. Uh, you'll see some manufacturers start to list this. This year is a big, big year for Mars. As we get into fall, Mars is going to be very well placed and very large this year. So having a good set of color filters or maybe a Mars filter might be cool to have. Now, what's the difference between a color filter and a Mars filter? Uh, a Mars filter is a broadband filter. So this is not colored glass. This is a multi-coated piece of glass. Um, has a lot more light throughput. And unlike a color filter where it only passes certain colors, this passes multiple colors, um, allowing you to accentuate the detail on Mars a lot more all at once. Um, so this is a broadband filter. Light throughput or transmission is very good on these. So um, this can be helpful. It is a specialty filter. I haven't used one of these yet. I need to try one out, but um, I heard they can be quite helpful. So maybe I'll pick one up for the Mars uh, thing this year. Um, but this will give you more uh, punch than the color filter will because it's very it's designed specifically for that use. Last one that I want to mention is the solar filter, particularly the thread on solar filter. If you ever see one of these, either chuck it 
or keep it in a keepsake thing for fun, but never ever use this filter on the telescope. Um, you don't find these very often anymore. Um, if you're getting a solar filter, it needs to go over the front aperture of your telescope before the light comes to a focus. It needs to block all that light out. So if you find one of these, um, they're generally a metal cell. They'll say solar filter on it and they'll be really dark. Don't ever use it. Um, just like I said, either chuck it or put it in a box for something fun, an old school antique kind of thing, but don't ever use it. They're extremely dangerous. Um, the reason being is the light from the telescope is being focused down and onto that piece of glass and it will crack under the heat. Um, an eight inch telescope, for example, pointed at the sun will get about 200 degrees at the focus point in only a couple seconds. So you need to have that filter in the front. Um, if you have one of these, it'd probably be better if you just destroyed it. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there because they do come up. They're getting progressively more rare for good reason. Um, just don't. So, um, so that wraps up the specialty filters. Um, so just to wrap this up real quick, recommended filters. If you're looking for a filter set, here's what I would recommend. Uh, the first one, a polarizing filter. Great filter to have in your kit. Very helpful for planets. Great for the moon and great for Venus. I, I would highly recommend having one in your kit. Um, after you've gotten your polarizer and you're ready to go into deep sky stuff, a UHC filter. Excellent, excellent filter uh, to be used uh, for getting started in deep sky. So that would be my second recommendation. Third is the O3 filter. So once you've got the first two set up and you want to get more specific on nebulas like planetaries, um, a Lumicon um, O3 or someone else's O3, it doesn't matter. All the O3s are excellent out there. Um, I looked through many of them and they're all good. So uh, O3 filter would be the third edition. And if you're really, really interested in deep sky and you want to complete what I call the trinity of filters, uh, the H-beta filter. So these are the four filters that I have regularly in my case. And throughout the year, they all get used uh, quite a lot. Now, there's two other filters that I want to recommend here real quick. Um, I don't have pictures of them because we didn't ask if we could use the pictures. But I use these personally and I, I actually really like the effect. Um, and this has come from a lot of years of messing with filters. Uh, the first one is the Botter Moon and Sky Glow. This is really, really helpful for uh, observing planets. If you've got a big refractor or one of our daubs and the planet's really bright, but you want to keep that detail, the Moon and Sky Glow filter, um, I like to think of it as a UHC light light. Um, it gives you just a little bit. It's a broadband filter, but it, it it's very subtle on how it handles the light. So it I find it really, really useful. Um, a lot of times I will use this filter. It's also called the neodymium filter, um, but that's a great filter. They're not too expensive um, and it works uh, really well on a variety of objects. As if, Even if you're in a dark sky location, if you want to pop that contrast a little bit more, uh, the moon and sky glow works really well. I It took me a while to kind of mess with it, but it's kind of a cool filter. Um, the last one here is the Botter Contrast Booster. I like to think of this as a UHC light. 
Um, it works really good for planets as well. Um, both of these, this is why I don't use color filters because um, I find that these two really make up what I need for that. Um, but they also work good on deep sky. So the contrast booster, I like to think of as kind of a geared up uh, moon and sky glow filter. Um, so those two filters, so what you guys are basically seeing here is the set that I personally use. I've got uh, all two inch because I've got that adapter. Um, I've got a variable polarizer, UHC, O3, H beta, moon and sky glow, and the contrast booster. So these, I've been viewing with these for years and on a variety of telescopes from little refractors to a big 28 inch daub, everything in between, these are the set that will hold you off for years. Um, so other than that, that wraps up today. Um, Thanks for watching. Um, and now we can get to our uh, Q&A. I know we ran a little long today, but today I think was very helpful for a lot of people. So um, let's get into questions. Uh, question number one, how to avoid reflections between the CLS filter and a bino prism? Um, you might be able to angle the filter a little bit. Uh, you could try that to reduce reflections. The problem with binoculars, of course, is they've got a lot of prisms bouncing light in there. Um, some, uh, some binoculars I've seen actually have filters set behind the prisms, like where the eyepieces are. So uh, you could check out those um, if you wanna mess around with that. Um, but I, I, I would also talk to the manufacturer of that binocular and see what their, their thought is on using filters. Uh, question number two, do you have any plans on to produce tri-filters? Um, Tri-band filters are more of an imaging thing, and we're going to do that next week. We'll be talking about those filters. Um, right now, Skywatcher, at least here in North America, doesn't have filters. Um, maybe we should look at doing something like that. But, um, but right now, the tri-band filters are more of an imaging filter. And at the moment, there's no plans to do anything. But uh, we will be discussing those in next week's uh, webcast when we do imaging filters. Uh, question, can I use the Comet filter for imaging? I don't see why not. It would be an interesting experiment. Um, it is a broader filter for imaging. It's 25 nanometer bandpass. So, um, and the problem with that, like O3 filters, um, the problem with O3 filters and, uh, filters that pass that blue spectrum of light is that a lot of light pollution and moonlight is actually the same color. So if you're going to be using that, you want to make sure the moon is down. So you're not getting more of that light in the, in your view there. But I don't see why you couldn't use a comet filter for imaging. It is a little broad, but you could probably use it. Um, let's see, uh, next question. Do you have to pull, pull out the eyepiece to adjust the polarizing filter? Um, yes, there is one filter. I don't think that Mead makes it anymore, but Mead had an old school filter that was really cool. It was actually a, a polarizer that looked like a Barlow, but you could leave the eyepiece in and adjust it. Um, I don't think they make that one anymore, but a friend of mine has one. You could probably find them on the used market. Those are pretty cool because you can't adjust it. Um, but most of the time, yeah, you have to pull it out and kind of fine tune um, what exactly you're looking for um, on there. Uh, let's see. 
what other questions do we have in here? Um, how much does a, let's see, next question. How much does using a filter improve results in astrophotography? Um, a lot. Uh, the cameras are very, very sensitive and they can actually catch a lot more than our eye can. And next week, we're gonna talk a lot about that. For the most part, everyone who's doing imaging nowadays is using a filter of some kind. And um, color filters, uh, for monochrome imaging and uh, light pollution filters and kind of these tri-band or multi-band filters for imaging are very, very helpful. And we're going to discuss all of that next week. So if you like this week um, and you're into imaging, uh, next week is really going to be where we're going to dig into a lot of the specialty filters for imaging. Um, so that's that's really been, you know, uh, we're trying to break this up because there's so many filters out there, but hopefully this has been really, really helpful um, for a lot of people to pick. And um, is there any other questions I can hit for you guys while we've got this? Um, we we probably eventually will do a, a segment. On, I see some people talking about solar filters. We probably will do a segment on solar filters um, that one's probably going to be fun. We should probably bring in some of our friends from the solar field and they can kind of discuss that. That can get really in depth because there's different types. So one of these days we will do a solar uh, themed one. Uh, next week, we're obviously going to be doing uh, imaging filters. Uh, so tune in uh, next week, 10 a.m. Pacific time um, right here on YouTube. And if you like our channel, go ahead and subscribe to it. I'll just let you know when we have new uh, videos coming out. Um, so we try to do this every week, 10 a.m., but we, we're working on other videos as well. So um, other than that, that pretty much wraps up today. If you have any questions that I didn't get to, um, you can email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. And I know we've had people before, if you want to be involved in a digital star party, I will be hosting a digital star party on my channel at Focus Astronomy this evening, 8.30 p.m. Pacific time. Um, we're going to be checking out galaxies and uh, all kinds of stuff wrapped up there for tonight. And that is, again, at the Focus Astronomy YouTube channel. We'll be doing our virtual star party there. Um, so if you have any questions that I didn't get, Go ahead and email them over to support at skywatcherusa.com. If you have imaging uh, filter questions, save them for next week because we're going to be hitting them next week. Um, so thanks for watching, and we will see you guys next week. Have a good one.